You are listening to a sermon by Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church in Escondido, California. For more information about New Life, visit us online at newlifepca.com. That's N-E-W-L-I-F-E-P-C-A dot com. Well, our Christmas series this year is we're calling The Dawn of Redeeming Grace, and that brings us to uh, today to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 18. It's printed for you in the bulletin if you don't have a Bible with you. And I'm going to ask if you're able to please stand for the reading of the Gospel. Matthew 2, beginning at verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, They departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, Weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray. Living God, help us this morning so to hear your holy word that we may truly understand it, that understanding it we may believe it, and believing it we may follow it in all faithfulness and obedience, seeking your honor and glory in all that we do 
through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, when you hear that story again, for most of you it would be again, what does it bring to mind? The rustle of royal robes, the aroma of exotic spices, the sparkle of gold, the baby Jesus on his mother's lap. Add to those things the manger and the innkeeper and the shepherds and the angels and the ox and the ass and uh, you have an escapist fantasy, don't you? That's what Christmas is for many people, uh, an escapist fantasy. Maybe you, maybe it is for you as well. And I would say to you right at the outset, if you, th- if you think Christmas is more or less an escapist fantasy, uh, once a year, short, sweet, reprieve from real life, then you haven't really understood Christmas. You know, Christmas is about the God who created the heavens and the earth coming to the planet He created, coming to the people uh, He created in pursuit of them. Uh, That is a traumatic event. That is a life-altering event, a history-altering event. And in many ways, what we see at Christmas is is not what you see on the Christmas cards, right? It's brutal. It's hard. I mean, think about what you see in the Christmas story. Grinding poverty. Burdensome taxation. Confusion. Questions. Scandal. Offense. Hurt feelings. Wonder. Worship. Jealousy. Hatred. Anti-Semitism, murder, blood running in the streets of Bethlehem, danger, forced relocations, running for one's life. Don't see those on Christmas cards, do you? And surprisingly, the human beings who who embraced Jesus' coming, the coming of God to, the pla- to planet Earth and the person of Jesus, the people who embraced that God were the, were the ones that religious people wrote off. So, you, so Christmas is really a, a very difficult, hard event full of unexpected people. People that religious people want to write off, but not God. So Christmas is is hardly escapist fantasy. It's it's anything but. It's it's hard, brutal reality. It's about what Jesus came into, and it's about what where you live today. The same dark, hard world. Christmas is good news in a bad news world. Was then, is now. I want to look at this episode under three headings, okay? First, 
humanity under the power of grace. Humanity under the power of grace. And for that, we're going to look at the Magi, the wise men. Second, humanity under the power of sin. And for that, we're going to look at uh, Herod, King Herod. And, And third and finally, we're going to look at humanity under the blood of God. And for that, we're going to focus on Jesus, of course, who is pretty much called the child here. This part of the chapter, I think he's referred to nine times as the child. Okay, so first, the Magi. Or, I've, I call them the Magi. It, it's, in, in Greek, that's what it, it says, Magi. Uh, wise men is a good translation. Magi, of course, is where we get the word magic from, or magician. Uh, emphasizing the sort of the connection with the dark arts and astrology of of uh, people in that profession of uh, magi. So we're going to look at these magi as as representatives of humanity under the power of grace. The, the main point that Matthew wants to communicate here by telling this part of the Christmas event is he, he wants us to see that the Magi would not be worshiping Jesus, but for the prior intervening, breaking in, summoning, transforming grace of God. To really understand the wise men, you have to understand that the Bible does not have a sympathetic view of them. Uh, the Magi are not, uh, are not uh, favored people in Scripture, nor were they in official Israel. Uh, they were religious outsiders, pagan idolaters who worshipped created things, stars, planets, rather than uh, the Creator. They looked to the stars for direction, not the Lord. They looked to their own creations, things like zodiacs, uh, for wisdom and for meaning in life. So the Magi literally represented everything Israel despised. And the Magi represented everything that, that, that the people of Israel believed that they had already been rescued from, twice, First time, being rescued from Egypt. The second time, being rescued from Babylon. In both of those nations, magi were were a presence among the ruling classes. So bottom line, the magi were the last people anyone expected or wanted at this first Christmas party. Right? They were written off as, as, as hopeless cases, religiously lost people who were hopeless. Now, you and I don't deal with magi. At least I don't think we do. Uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe out on the coast there are some. Um, but uh, we, we, still, we still write people off, don't we? Uh, maybe you write off addicts as hopeless. Maybe you write off 
people who identify as LGBTQIA+, as hopeless. That's the, the new and, and constantly increasing acronym for those people who are caught up in sexual sin. You write them off as hopeless? Lost? Maybe you write off people committed to cults, cult spiritualities as hopeless. You just, it's just too hard. They're just too, they're too committed to, 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 a, to an anti-Christian spirituality. Maybe you write off serial adulterers. Well, the message that Matthew wants us to hear here is that under the power of God's grace, absolutely no one is hopeless. And we, you know, fellow sinful, finite creatures have no business writing anyone off, right? As followers of Jesus, friends, as people who, who, have, ha- who have been uh, invaded by that grace, that transforming grace, uh, our responsibility is to keep showing and telling the good news of Jesus, right? That there is hope, that there is that there is a rescue. Notice how grace operated with the Magi. It's instructive because it's, it, 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 it speaks to our experience as well. God wonderfully used their own materials, didn't he? You know, they're going to they're gonna worship the stars? Fine, I'll use the stars. God used a star to, to begin to draw them to himself, right? And it's worth mentioning, though, and, and scholars have noted this for centuries as they've uh, reflected on the Christmas event, that the star actually didn't get them all the way to Jesus, right? It, it did get them as far as Jerusalem, Right? The star got them to Jerusalem. They're looking for a king. Where do they go? Well, the natural place you'd go to look for a king, the palace, right? That's how they ran into Herod. Uh, but it was there, in Jerusalem, at the palace, that they got revelation from Scripture. Right? That the Messiah was, good, was going to be in Bethlehem. So even though in some mysterious way, and I'm not going to, you know, whenever I hear sermons about wise men, and I have for years now, we always talk about all the theories of the stars and, you know, and what the gifts mean. And I'm not going to get into the theory of the star. Uh, Scholars still debate it, you know, but even though Matthew indicates that in some way the star did continue to go ahead of them from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, um, the fact is they already knew where they were going. And they already knew that where they were going because of Scripture. And the point here is that this is how God still brings His grace into your life and to my life. He uses both things. He uses nature, we call it natural revelation, and he uses scripture, and we call that special revelation. And you need both. You know, sunsets, I love sunsets, mountains, beaches, they're great, all great, love them. Um, And there are plenty of, I have friends that say, you know, you go to church and worship God, I worship God at the beach. 
I find God in the mountains. Um, well, that's fine. As I said, nothing wrong with beaches and mountains, uh, but they don't get you to Jesus. Right? Um, for that, you need Scripture. You can't look at a sunset and, and know and, and learn about the, 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 the cosmos altering life, death, and resurrection of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. That takes Scripture. So both are necessary. We need nature. The, the, the testimony of na- nature is, is necessary and good, but it isn't sufficient. Like the Magi, we need both. Okay? One last thought on the Magi here before we go to Herod is, is that their presence in the Christmas event uh, as outsiders, right? Big time outsiders uh, for the, for the Jewish, in the Jewish mind. Uh, their presence means that Jesus is not just Messiah for the people of Israel. Right? He's the Messiah for people of every nation. The, the, the fact that the Magi are here really underlines the, 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 the basic truth that Jesus is Lord of the nations. Right? We must never forget that. And, and we, we may not, the danger for us may not be to forget it, but, it, but it's to, the danger for us may be to invert it. To, to, and try to make Jesus in some way subordinate to a nation, subordinate, subordinate to a nation's particular interests. We must never do that, try to do that. You know, if you try to do that, you, you make Jesus a cardboard cutout, right? a way to prop up uh, a particular nation or particular politicians, particular agendas, and Jesus will not be a prop. For us to make Jesus try to serve political power rather than the other way around... For us to make, try to make Jesus serve political power is really, to riff off of C.S. Lewis, is to make mud pies in a slum because we don't know what's offered to us when we're, when we're offered a holiday at the sea. Political power is a mud pie next to Jesus. Jesus is Lord. Lord of the nations. Lord of the universe, nobody and nothing else. Jesus is where the real power is. Sometimes I think we forget that. So that's the Magi. Humanity under the power of grace. They're there because of God's surprising, transforming, initiating, wonderful grace. Second now, humanity under the power of sin. King Herod, and why is it that I, that I seemingly automatically identify with the bad guys in Scripture? Whether it's the Pharisees or whether it's King Herod. I mean, as I was you know, studying and reflecting on this event again, we've, um, I was just troubled as Herod became troubled. Troubled by my uh, 
the, the similarities between my life and Herod's, or my heart and Herod's. Um, one commentator I, I consulted comically suggested that when the Magi showed up at the palace, verse 2, and asked, sort of curtly asked their question, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Uh, this commentator suggested that Herod must have spit out his coffee. Um, and that's probably a pretty good image. And, and, and Had he been drinking coffee, I'm sure he would have. Um, right? Why? Because that was who he was. Right? Herod was the king of the Jews. And, and uh, this, this was not welcome news, right? So what we see here right, right off with, with Herod is what you might call the sin before the sin. I think reading this passage, we naturally, and we say, what, you know, let's talk about Herod's sin. I think we naturally go right to the big one, right? To the, to the obvious one, which is the slaughter, so-called slaughter of the innocents. The, 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 the execution, his ordered execution of all the baby boys in, in Bethlehem and its surrounding uh, region, right? It's just an absolutely horrific uh, act. Uh, but before that horrific sin, there was another sin that drove him to that horrible sin. And what was, that, what was the sin that drove him to the slaughter of the innocents? It was his idolatrous, heart-level commitment to position and power. Right? And you see, this is, an, this is an internal thing, right? This is, this is his heart which is where I begin to sort of see, right, the parallels between Herod and me, right? It's, sin is primarily an issue of, the, of our heart, of who we are, at, at, at the deepest core of who we are. And, and uh, so it was power and position, his power and position that gave Herod his, his um, purpose and meaning. Right, it, it it gave him his sense of identity. I'm the king of the Jews, right? Um, and the, and so already, automatically, just by his mention by the Magi, Jesus is threatening that hard those hard idols of position and power, and the dead giveaway that 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 Herod's heart idols of power and position are being threatened here. Uh, is the way he reacts, and the, and his his the reaction is fury. Yeah, verse verse sixteen, right? It says that Herod was furious, and and that's actually a a, a fairly tame translation uh, of the Greek. There, he is he's he's it raging. Okay, you ever had a fit of rage? No hands. Um, you ever been really kind of over the top angry, where it even it kind of scared you, scared yourself? Um, th- th- that kind of rage, that kind of over the top anger, is 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 symptomatic. It's not unusual when our hard idols are come under attack when they're threatened. 
And why is that? Because our heart idols, if, if our idols are attacked, say, you know, Herod's power and position are attacked, that's, that's what his heart is wrapped around, that's what gives him his identity, then an attack on his power and position is a very personal attack. It goes to right to who he is, right to everything that gives his life meaning and significance and a sense of purpose, right? And, and so you're going to lash back if, if, if that's uh, threatened. And it, you know, think about it. Um, if your idol is beauty, um, you know, how do you react when uh, all of a sudden there, you know, more beautiful people walk into the room? Your idol is intelligence and you get shown up by somebody who's a lot smarter than you are. Or if like Herod, your, your idol is power and position. It's just in a, it's just in a business. Uh, and, 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 and the, uh, the new opportunity, the new promotion went to your rival instead of, uh, you. Uh, if, 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 if power and position have been your idols, that's been, you know, central to who you are as a person. Of course, you're going to get uh, angry, just like like uh, like Herod did. So again, I think at this point, Herod is gives us a, is it's sort of a heart check for us. You know, this is not this is something that Christians struggle with too. Uh, we all, as Calvin said, our hearts are idol factories and. Um, so just, you know, ask yourself, use this time to ask yourself, are there things at the center of your life that shouldn't be there? Are, the, are there things that if they went away uh, would really crush your sense of who you are, crush your identity, crush any sense of, of purpose and significance? Um, are there things that would that have made you angry recently, really over-the-top angry, you know, check your heart. And, and if you need to, repent. You know, to just call them out for what they are. Repent from them, turn from them, and return to your first love, right? King Jesus. Now, look, I understand that e- even though we may struggle with heart idols like Herod did, we're we're not driven, most of us in any way, and I hope all of us, aren't driven to kill uh, like Herod was. Uh, and, but are we surprised by his reaction? I mean, I, I don't think we should be. I mean, if you live in the Bible for a while, if you study history, both in the Bible and outside the Bible, uh, you come to realize, of course, that Persons in power will stoop to almost anything. How many kings and dictators have have resorted to scapegoating Jews, killing Jews, even Jewish children, right, as a way to solve their problems? That, that kind of anti-Semitism is a is a horror, but it's a horror we know all too well because it. Where does it originate? It originates in the human heart. It's in the heart of every one of us. So even though we may not kill like Herod did, uh, 
we, we still hate. We still gossip. We still backbite. We still ridicule. We still ignore. We still delight in the downfall of others. That may be one of the worst, right? Taking secret delight in the failure of another. Um, you know, it's another heart check, isn't it? Um, I'm just giving you sort of thoughts I've got, had on these on Herod as I've was reflecting on him. He's also an object lesson, isn't he? Here, on the wisdom of not overtrusting government, government officials. Herod was a brilliant politician. He was a brilliant administrator. He was. Uh, uh, no one would argue that he was a man who got things done. Uh, he d- would not allow anyone to get in his way, even his family. Um, he single-handedly changed the landscape of Palestine. He was um, among hundreds of building projects, right? He rebuilt the temple, um, and he built a whole new city. On, on Israel's coast called Caesarea. You can, still, you can go and see it today. It's magnificent. Um, and yet, for all his, his effectiveness as administrator and as a politician, there was a rottenness at the core with Herod. Really a rottenness at the core with all of us, right? We're sinful human beings. And as, as, a, as a result, he could not be trusted. There's a reason it says at verse 3, when Herod was troubled, all of Jerusalem was troubled with him. And yeah, why, were they, why was the rest of Jerusalem troubled when Herod was troubled? Well, because they didn't know what he was going to do when he was troubled. Right? It was scary when he was troubled because you couldn't trust him. He was unpredictable. He might stab you in the back. He might kill your kids. He might kill his own kids, which he did. It's just, he's a reminder, just yet one more reminder in Scripture of the truth that appears over and over again in Scripture. It's well stated at Psalm 146. Put not your trust in princes in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he, though, whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever. Man, I can't think of many Governments or government officials, I can say, keep faith forever. Right? Where do you find your hope and your help? It's got to be in the God of Jacob, the one who came to us in Jesus. And and finally, I just want to show you, and and, and you know, and this is, and I'm, t- I'm talking about political things because this is politics, right? I mean, this we've got the, the the magi came to the king, and the king's getting involved here because he sees, he understands already. Jesus sitting on his mother's lap that Jesus is a political threat, 
He's the king of kings. You know, one of the scary things about Herod is what he is because he does what enemies of the gospel often do, even today, and that is hijack. He tries to hijack religion for his own purposes. They put on sheep's clothing. Herod used the language of religion to advance his own agenda, didn't he? To deceive religious people. He, he used religious language. Verse 8, he tells the Magi, hey, when you've found the Messiah, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. He's using religious language. He's expressing re- re- religious devotion. Of course he's not going to worship Jesus. Right? He's going to kill him. But that doesn't stop him from doing it, from, from, from take, using that language, from lying to gain trust of religious people. And it might have worked too, had not the wise men been divinely warned in a dream not to go back to Herod. And another way he, he, he kind of hijacks religion for his own purposes is that he was successful in getting at least some of the religious leadership, right? Not talking about the people, but, but that, that tiny, that subset of, of leaders, he got some of them to cozy up to him, right? And, and, or to be afraid of him. And a lot of people were afraid of, of Herod. Um, and, and since he got these religious leaders to cozy up to him or be afraid of him, he was able to use them, right? And he just blatantly used them. He calls them in and says, where do I find this, the Messiah? All right? And they, they tell him, Bethlehem of Judea. And, and that report leads directly to, it's right in the chain of causation, to the slaughter of the innocents. Now, in lots of sermons over the years, I've heard these religious leaders right at this point criticized. Uh, And I've done it myself. And and the, 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 the argument goes, well, the Magi traveled hundreds of miles, probably for months, to find Jesus in Bethlehem and worship him. And these religious leaders, right, fellow uh, Jews, uh, would, would not go the six miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem to find Jesus. And, and it just kind of stops there, right? It's just it's this kind of that, that criticism. But they've never gone on, I've never heard an explanation of why they didn't go. They're just criticized for not going, but has anybody ever thought of why they didn't? I think one reason why we don't hear it is because the scripture doesn't tell us, certainly doesn't tell us directly. But knowing what we know uh, 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 of Herod and his character, uh, knowing what we know of how uh, some in the, in, in the religious leadership of Israel collaborated with, uh, uh, with the authorities. 
Um, it, is, it seems to me to be a, a, a fair inference uh, that they didn't go because they had allied themselves with Herod. And to go and show any interest in, in this potential rival to Herod would be a breach of that loyalty. Would, would, and would, more importantly, might jeopardize their privileged position, right? Right now they've got the ear of Herod. You know, they've got access to Herod, right? They've got this privileged proximity to political power, and they've, I believe they feared that that would go away if they showed any interest in this potential rival to Herod. Makes sense. Makes sense given who Herod is. Makes sense given who they are. And favoring Herod, what happened? They missed Jesus. And they ended up promoting this great evil against their own people in their own land. And it's, friends, it's a warning. It's Christians. Christians then and Christians now have a tendency to bed down with worldly power way too easily. Right? When we are already in service of the greatest power there is. The one who sets these people in power. The one who rules all the nations, Jesus Christ. Right? Our highest loyalty needs to be to Jesus. He needs to be calling the shots. Okay, third, finally. That's the... That's the uh, the, the Herod, King Herod. Um, and now finally Jesus, humanity under the blood of God. Um, I think so, so far we can summarize it this way. Okay? Herod shows you your deep need. You and I are spiritually hopeless, spiritually locked up under the power of sin and unable to, to, to get free. Um, the Magi show you what they needed, what Herod needed, and what you and I need today, which is that initiating, summoning, transforming grace of God. We need that grace of God to break into our lives, uh, break the power of sin, and bring us to Jesus. But how does that happen? That's, that's the question. How does that happen? Um, and this is where we need to focus on Jesus. Um, it's not, it doesn't happen by God at Christmas sending us Jesus the example. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Live like Jesus lived. It's not by God at Christmas sending us Jesus, the teacher. In effect, putting us all, uh, you know, giving us all a fresh start, putting us at the starting line again, and then standing back and seeing if we obey his teaching well enough to get ourselves across the finish line. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus is not an example. He is. I'm not saying that Jesus isn't a teacher. Of course, he was. But think about it, if Jesus is just an example, or if just Jesus is just a teacher, we're doomed. 
doomed. Because of our hearts, right? Locked under the power of sin like Herod. We, we, we cannot uh, obey his teaching well enough, ever. Not only in our actions, but in our thoughts and our motives and our intentions, right? God looks at those too. And if you don't think that's true, you don't know your heart. And I would tell you, go back and really take an honest look at your heart and say, if everything you thought was put up on this screen or if everything you thought actually came to pass, you think God would be pleased? No. No, what, what happened at Christmas is that God sent Jesus into our dark, compromised, addicted half-hearted, unfaithful, self-seeking, backbiting, indifferent, not much caring, leave me alone world. And he sent him to you as your rescuer and as your representative. Representative is the best I could come up with. It's not a great word. What I mean is a, he's your representative with, with your full power of attorney. So that his decisions, Jesus' decisions are your decisions. Jesus' actions are your actions. Jesus' life is your life. Jesus' death is your death. Jesus' resurrection is your resurrection. So linked to Jesus by faith, under the blood of Jesus by faith, you have a certain present and a certain future because of what Jesus accomplished in your name and for your account. That's what Christmas is about. Now you're looking at this and going, where did he get all this from? And it's 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 there. It's you, you have to, it's, it takes a step or two. It really comes from that remarkable connection that Matthew makes between what God said to Hosea in verse fifteen and Jesus. Right? He Matthew quotes what God said to Hosea, and he and he and that was hundreds of years before the coming of Jesus. And, and God said, and speaking of something he had done in the past, out of Egypt I called my son. Right? When God spoke that to Hosea, what, who, what was he talking about? He's talking about Israel. Right? Out of Egypt I called my son. He's talking about the Exodus. And the son is Israel. One nation, but millions of people. God's people. And now, Matthew, under the power of the Holy Spirit, says, you know, with, with Christmas, that statement that God made back then to Hosea, out of Egypt I called my son, finds brand new and complete meaning in Jesus. Right? So Joseph, remember good old Joseph that we talked about last week, whose life no longer is his own, is, is forced to become a refugee, right? As he flees for his life, taking his wife and stepson 
to Egypt to avoid Herod and stayed there until he died. Um, And says Matthew, that was to fulfill what God said to Hosea, out of Egypt I called my son. So, so there would be a very real way, a literal way, in which Jesus Christ would come out of Egypt uh, into, uh, into Israel. Um, and what we're meant to see is a new exodus. Right? Jesus is a, the leader of a new exodus. You know that comes up in another point in Luke in Luke chapter nine at the Transfiguration when Jesus is transfigured before Peter and James and John and 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 he's speaking with uh, Elijah and Moses and only Luke tells us what they talked about and. And, and he says that they were talking to Jesus, Elijah and Moses. They were talking about Jesus' exodus. And of course, where he was going in context in, in Luke's gospel is he was going to the cross. Right? See, Jesus' whole life was a, an exodus, but it wasn't just Jesus. See, when he, out of Egypt I called my son, that was, that was a singular nation, millions of people. Now God is calling his son, Jesus Christ, a singular human being out of Egypt, but not not just a singular human being, the representative human being, the one who represents all of Israel. Every believing Jew, every Gentile like you and me, grafted in. We're fully represented by Jesus. So, so united by faith in Jesus will be brought out of the Egypt of our sin and our futility and our death so that we can live and have fellowship with God. Right? Jesus takes us perfectly on this new exodus from sin and death to forgiveness and life. Jesus does it. It's Jesus' action on our behalf. That's why Christmas is good news. It's a reminder right here that Jesus did it all. He accomplished the new and final exodus on your behalf. So, I'm closing with this. Just as the Magi looked at the star and found hope, right? You and I, we don't look at the stars. Well, we can look at the stars. They're beautiful. But we look up not at a star and find hope. We look up at Jesus and find hope. Inextinguishable hope. Linda reminded me of a passage in the Lord of the Rings where Sam is in, uh, is in Mordor, the evil, dark land of Mordor. And there is a point in in, in, when he's in Mordor that he looks up through the, the graying dark sky uh, of Mordor and he sees this sparkling twinkling star and um, above Mordor and, and here's I'm quoting Tolkien now the beauty of it smote Sam's heart as he looked up out of the forsaken land and hope returned to him for like a shaft clear and cold the thought pierced him that in the end, the shadow, say evil, the shadow was only a small and passing thing. 
there was light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. See, he was caught up in Mordor under the shadow of the evil of Mordor. He was scared, he was frightened, he didn't know how things were going to go. And he sees this star and it reminds him that there is hope there, what would it say? Light and high beauty forever beyond this evil. And that next to that hope, this star was just so much bigger that, that, that this evil, as bad as it was, seemed a small and passing thing. Friends, right now, we're just like Sam and Mordor. You know, we're living in the shadow lands. We're living in the valley of the shadow of death. Many of you right now, even though it's Christmas, are going through some really, really dark shadows. Um, terminal illnesses. Deaths of loved ones. Children alienated. Broken relationships. Lost jobs. Bad decisions being made by people and having to be lived with, trouble at work, trouble at school. My fr- Let me just encourage you, look to Jesus. Like the Magi looked at the star, look to Jesus, the bright and morning star. That's what scripture calls Jesus, the bright and morning star. He's the light beyond your shadows. He's the light that is forever beyond the reach of your shadows. So however dark and painful the shadows are for you right now, and they are, I know, they're real, they're dark, they're painful. This is in no way minimizing any of that. What you need to remember is that Jesus came as your rescuer. He came as your representative. He absorbed that darkness already in his own body on the cross. And he will one day dispel that darkness completely with his light in resurrection. So friends, Christmas is not, please, it's not escapist fantasy. It's a hard look at a hard world and it's real rescue and it's real hope. And we need it. We need it. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this Christmas word that you give us in Matthew Help us to hold on to the hope that you bring us. Thank you for sending us. Jesus, not not just an example, not just a teacher, but our rescuer and representative. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido. Please visit us in Escondido, California, or online at newlifepca.com. New Life Presbyterian Church Escondido reserves all copyrights as applicable by law. Thank you for listening.